We come now to God's word. So if you'd turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, Pastor Josh Moody will preach from verses 9 through 25 this morning. But I'll set a bit of context by beginning uh, in verse 4. So hear God's word for us this morning. Acts 8, 9 through 25. I'll begin in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they had heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is God's word. Amen. Well, go ahead and keep your Bibles open as we come now to look at God's word. Let me just add a, a word of thanks to, uh, to Ruth for all she's been doing over these last few weeks and our prayers for her as she moves to maternity leave. And also to Eric Dewar, I think you caught that there's a special song we just uh, sung earlier that he himself had written for this very time that we're going through. And it's just amazing that we have uh, these uh, gifted people bringing to us uh, new music uh, for our day and many, many other elements of our worship experience. Well, as we've already prayed, uh, we in the last week have seen across America uh, great challenges, uh, not only in the original city where the tragedy, offense, crime, brutality took place, um, but also it spread across the country, indeed into our own city, Chicago. There's uh, looting and uh, violence. 
I've called the title of this sermon, I've called Real Church. And the reason why I've called it that is because in this day it is particularly important that we realize that the root issue with which we as a country and indeed the whole world is dealing with is spiritual. And what we need is real faith, real love, real justice, real Christianity, and indeed real church. And the story we're looking at this morning brings that into focus for us by uh, centering the narrative, as Luke, the author of uh, the book of Acts, uh, tells the story. He deliberately centers the narrative around two Simons in this story. And the question the story is asking of us is, which Simon are we? Which Simon are you? It's a definition question, it's a question of identity, in the end it's a question of of choice. C.S. Lewis uh, once, once wrote that if we refuse to allow people to worship the king, Uh, They will worship actresses, billionaires, film stars, or even, he said, famous prostitutes and gangsters. For spiritual nature, like physical nature, will be served. And if you deny it food, it will gobble up poison. Which Simon? Which Simon are you? The first Simon... Uh, was a man of uh, magic and money, uh, but malice. Uh, He was uh, known uh, as uh, Simon the Great, and he's known in church history as Simon Magus. Uh, He was uh, a man of magic. He had, or he claimed to have, uh, supernatural abilities. And he used these abilities to uh, self-promote He went around verse 9 saying that he was somebody great. He was the great one. And they all all bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, They uh, they said from the least to the greatest, they were saying, they're paying attention to him, verse 10, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. He was a man of magic. And uh, so much of um, religiosity today has this element of uh, magic to it, showmanship to it, centered around dominant personalities, almost a cult of celebrity. And we, we gobble it up. We enjoy it. Oh yeah, he's the great one. I remember once going to a a conference, a huge conference, many, many thousands of pastors were attending this conference, and I won't tell you which one it was, and if you guessed, you probably have the wrong answer, let me assure you. But I remember going to this conference, and as I went in there, seeing huge posters, this massive um, uh, conference center, uh, several floors high, the, 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 the hall when you went in. Huge posters of 50, 60 feet or more, 100 feet high, from top almost to the ground, of the different celebrities, dominating everything. It amused me greatly at the time because I I knew a couple of them personally, and one of them I knew was actually a very diminutive individual, rather small. But there he was, huge! (laughs) This dominant 
magical personality. But it's not just about massive conferences and events like that. It can happen on a small scale, too. I remember in the, on the, when I was on the mission field in the Republic of Georgia, going into meeting with a person who was a religious leader at the time, and he gathered around him a faithful few. They were the faithful few. Everyone else had it wrong. And they drunk up every word he said. It was a cult, celebrity cult. And he was a man of magic, was Simon. But he was also a man of money. When uh, the apostles came down and they had this extraordinary ministry, uh, Simon Magus, uh, Simon wants what they have and uh, he offers them money for it. Of course, Simon by then would surely have been a very wealthy person. He was famous in that city and they would have given gifts to him and paid huge amounts of money for his magical abilities. And so he had the resources and he assumed that the apostles like he will be defined by commercial ventures, monetary significance. So he offered them money for the gift of the Spirit. So much of uh, false religion is defined by money. Actually, simony, the crime in church history of trying to buy church positions through bribery. It's called simony. And Dante, in his uh, famous work, Inferno, in the eighth circle of hell, actually puts into that eighth circle a pope, Nicholas III, and hints that the current pope at the time, Boniface VIII, would soon join him in the eighth circle of hell for simony, for bribery, for corrupting the real church through financial manipulation but it's not just a particular denomination it's not just a matter of history it's something that affects the church today this materialism this monetary focus you know today we even have a particular movement in the church that is branded this way and they they preach the prosperity gospel and everything is about health wealth and success I think it was John Piper who once said that if God's love for us is defined by making us healthy and wealthy, he sure hated the Apostle Paul. No. And yet it's so attractive. It's so appealing. A recent study was done taking clips from a particularly prominent and well-known prosperity gospel and playing them to individuals in a a laboratory setting to see their responses. And uh, they played them to non-Christians as well as Christians. And if they they found, if they removed the title of it being from a Christian uh, background or Christian preacher and just said it was a motivational talk, then the non-Christians had exactly the same response, the highly unrealistically elevated sense of well-being. And the experimenters concluded that the success of the message was not so much about feeling God as about feeling good, healthy, wealthy, prosperous, money. But what a distortion. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who once said, do you think that my business is to make you feel good? No, 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 my friend. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a preacher of the gospel. 
Our job is not to help people feel good while the, while the ship sinks. Our job is to rescue people from a sinking ship. It's a message of rescue, of gospel. But Simon, Simon Magus was a man of, of money, as well as magic, and also a man of, of malice, ill intent, nastiness, right deep down. As uh, Peter says to him, uh, verse 23, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, we don't use those kind of words in contemporary English. What, what Peter is saying is he, there's a maliciousness to him. There's a nastiness to him. There's something inside that is bitter. Perhaps he's jealous of Peter's success. Perhaps it's what had always driven him to be the great one. An anger, a hate, a malice. It can so easily corrupt real faith, real Christianity, real church, this jealousy, this bitterness. Uh, one of the most uh, influential early Christian leaders, a man called Oregon, in his commentary on uh, Psalm 36, uh, describes there, as he's talking about the, the, the early verses of that psalm, he, he, he talks about how there are so few effective evangelists, effective people who will gossip the gospel, effective preachers of the gospel, so few. And of those who are effective, their effectiveness is tarnished by this ambition, this jealousy, this, this malice. Psalm 36 puts it like this, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He plots trouble while he's on his bed. There's a malice to Simon. Almost a hatred. And it comes, of course, from deep within the heart, in, in, the, in the mind, in the intentions of our thinking and feeling. It can so easily corrupt things. I, I remember one time in, in another church that you, you won't know at all, there was a, a children's worker there who was particularly gifted at uh, giving talks to, to children, to five-year-olds, six-year-olds. This children's worker was just brilliant at it. I've never seen anyone so good. You could get a hundred kids in the room and this children's worker in front of them and, and this children's worker would just explain the gospel over like 20, 25 minutes and they wouldn't move and they'd understand everything. It was an extraordinary gift. But this same person had very, very little gifting in organization. And so things were a little chaotic in the children's ministry. There was another person who, when you put this person up in front of 20, 25 kids, it was chaos. They couldn't understand what was being said. And no, no real gift of communicating the gospel in that context, but organization. This person knew how to set up programs, buy supplies, set up processes. Could they get along? <laughs> no way. One was jealous of the other's gift. Do you say to yourself, you know, I just wish I was a deacon. 
Do you say to yourself, you know, I just wish I was an elder? Do, do you say to yourself, you know, I just wish I was in Christian ministry? Do you say to yourself, you know, I just wish I had more money? Do you say to yourself, you know, I just wish I was at the next stage of life? You know this? Socrates once said, if you're not content with what you have, you will not be content when you get what you want. What you want. God has given you exactly what you need right now. Embrace it. But Simon, Simon Magus, no, he, was, he was a person of malice. Which Simon are you? The good news is there's another Simon in this passage. And that's Simon Peter. He's known most commonly as Peter because that's the name that Jesus gave him. It was a, a nickname meaning the rock. But his original name was Simon. And Luke, I believe, is contrasting these two Simons. Simon Peter was not a man of malice and magic and money. Simon Peter was a man of prayer and purity and principle. See what happens when the apostles come down, verse 15. They pray. They pray. He's a man of prayer. But you notice how different that is from Simon? Simon Magus, when he's rebuked by Simon Peter, Simon Magus cannot even pray himself. He says, pray for us. Simon Magus has no prayer life to speak of. But Simon Peter is a man of prayer. Pray. 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 First thing in the morning, pray. Last thing at night, pray. It's been well said, before you see the face of anyone, seek the face of God. First thing in the morning, as your eyes open, Lord, pray. You say, prayer is for wimps. I'm too busy to pray. I've got too many things to do. Prayer is for those people who don't know how to get stuff done. I've got to get after it. Yes, someone else can go to a prayer meeting. Someone else can spend time in prayer, but I don't need to pray, you know. Winston Churchill, one of the most uh, activist individuals, great leader. Well, I, I read a, f- a couple of biographies of him, uh, and in those biographies, it talked about how you could imagine Winston Churchill as a preacher, but you couldn't imagine him on his knees praying. And I had some sympathy with that description of Winston Churchill. But another biography I read of him more recently, in his younger days, describes how Winston Churchill, when he was in South Africa, Facing imprisonment and danger describes in his own words, in his diary, how that that point, knowing that the, the affairs of human beings are governed by the infinite providence, got on his knees and prayed fervently. Like I you, you may be a CEO of a huge business. You may be a very well-qualified medical doctor. You may have a prof- professorship at Yale. You, but you need to pray. You need the living God. Simon Peter was a man of prayer. But he was also a man of purity. Now we often think of purity just in sexual terms. But purity is far, far more than just that. When Simon Magus came to Peter and said, give me this power also. Offering him money. Offering Peter money. Simon Peter money for it. Peter said to him, verse 20, may your silver perish with you. Look, look at that response. 
Simon Peter's response is, you know, let's, let's think about that. Let's have a conversation about that. Maybe we, can, maybe we can do a deal about that. No, it's an immediate, no way. Simon Peter is a man of purity. He will not get tarnished by bribery. Purity begins in prayer and it's discovered at that moment of temptation where there's an immediate refusal. No. Get thee behind me, Satan. No. May your, may your gift perish with you. No way. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to go there. I will not be tarnished. When I think of purity, I think of some vacations that our family used to take when I was growing up. There was a, a friend of the family who'd been a friend actually of my grandmothers who allowed us uh, my father was a high school teacher at the time so we didn't have huge resources but the friend of my grandmother allowed us and uh, helped us to get out to Switzerland for a few holidays and I remember as we would uh, we would walk through the Alps in uh, Switzerland and you climb up these Alps and you you get closer to uh, to the glacier level and I noticed as I was walking up, there were, there were streams, rivers flowing down from the glacier. You put your hand in there, they were ice cold, even on the hottest day, because it was glacier water. But not only were they ice cold, they were startlingly pure, untarnished, pure. Simon Peter, is, he's a man of purity. But he was also a man of principle. And so when uh, Simon Pedia um, rebukes Simon Magus, he says to him, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven for you. Now, in that one sentence, <laughs> there is embedded biblical principles of great profundity. First of all, Simon Peter has the principle that if, if Simon Magus repents, he'll be saved. That's a biblical principle. If you repent this morning, turn from your sin, you can be saved. It's a principle. He also has the principle that the intent of his heart, that out of the heart the mouth speaks, that the real issue going on in our country today is not political, it's spiritual. And that we need the power of the gospel to heal broken hearts. It's a biblical principle. And he has here this biblical principle that if possible, in other words, and this is a, this is a difficult thing to, to say in any context, but what Peter is implying here is you can get to a point when you've said no to God so often that you no longer want to say yes to him? That you've heard so many sermons from me or other preachers and so often heard the call to repentance that now when you hear it, you cannot hear it anymore. You just laugh at it. You become cynical. You don't care anymore. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Turn to him today. This is all, these are all biblical principles. Simon Peter is a man of principle, not a, not a man of magic and money and malice. He's a man of prayer and 
purity and principle. Get biblical principles. Study the Bible. Think. If you don't have biblical principles, you'll be adrift in a ship on the Atlantic Ocean without sail or rudder or engine at the mercy of a sea of stormy circumstances. They just get blown all over the place. You know, won't know which way's up. Get biblical principles. Think, think biblically. Know the difference between a matter of principle and a matter of conscience. And don't insist that everyone shares the same conscience as you do. Know the difference between a matter of principle and a matter of conscience and something that doesn't matter very much at all. And don't insist that everyone shares your view on things that don't matter very much at all. Be a man of principle and purity and prayer. Which Simon are you? We don't need any more Simon Maguses. We don't need any more people grandstanding and grabbing attention and inwardly just desiring jealousy, their ambitious agenda. We need Simon Peters, men and women of purity and principle and prayer. Which Simon are you? Money, of course, is a great temptation uh, for many of us, perhaps particularly in the western suburbs of Chicago. Money itself is not wrong. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Money can be a great tool, but you've got to use it as a tool, not hoard it for yourself. It was Wesley who famously said about money, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. Or James Kraft, the founder of the Kraft Food Empire, once said that the only investment in his life that ever had yielded consistently increasing dividends was the investment in the work of God. That's the only safe way to have money, is to be generous, to steward what God has given you. Malice. Pray that the Lord will give sweetness and love, the fruit of the Spirit. Purity. Repent and turn to him while he may be found. You say, how do I pray? I don't even know how to pray. Here's one little technique that I've taught all our children and Others too, it's simply the word stop. First of all, stop. Remember that God is God. Worship him. And then S, sorry for the things that you've done. T, thank him for the things that he has done. O, pray for others. Then P, please pray for yourself. Which Simon are you? Which Simon will you be? It is a choice. You can't be a bit of both. Pavarotti, the great singer, when he was trying to think through his career path, 
was told by his teacher. Pavarotti was thinking he'd be a professor and a performer, a professor and a soloist. And his teacher said to him, you cannot be both. For life, you must choose one chair. You must choose. Which Simon are you? Which Simon will you be? One man who made that choice was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer came to America, uh, and uh, while he was in New York, the horrors of the Nazi regime became more and more obvious. And as he was in New York, he realized that he had to make a choice. Would he stand with righteousness and justice, or would he hide away? As Martin Luther King once put it, if we do not learn to live together as brothers, we will perish together as fools. And Bonhoeffer had to make that kind of choice. He uh, wrote to Reinhard Niebuhr about his choice. Bonhoeffer said, if I am to participate in the reconstruction of Germany after the Second World War, I must not hide myself from its sufferings that are going on right now. For my fellow countrymen, a terrible choice awaits. Do we will the destruction of our own country and the salvation of our Christian civilization, or do we will the defeat of our country and uh, the destruction of our Christian civilization? Which are we going to do? The Christian civilization or our country? It's a terrible choice. He wrote, I know which choice I must make. But I cannot make that choice in security. And he went back to his country and was there towards the end of the war. He'd been imprisoned by then and just a few days were left to go before the war was ended. And Bonhoeffer was being led out to his execution. And there Bonhoeffer, a man of purity and principle and prayer, said to the guard as he was going to his own execution, he said to the guard, for you this is the end. For me, it's just the beginning. Which Simon are you? Money. Magical self-promotion. I'm great. Malice, jealousy, ambition. Or purity. And prayer. And principle. Which Simon are you? Oh, Lord God, we do pray that you would be at work in uh, our day. We pray, Lord, that we will be a people who stand up for what is true and right and just. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a love for each other in unity, as we sang earlier. And we pray most of all, Lord, that you, by your spirit, be work in our hearts to cause us to turn to you, to not be like Simon Magus, but like Simon Peter, and so have real faith, real love, real truth, real justice, real peace, and be increasingly the real church. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.